Hello and welcome to Let Us Learn More, a podcast focused on produce industry education. As you know, we at the Packer put on a number of events each year and we wanted to preserve all the great information that comes from those educational sessions. This season of the podcast is focused on our Sustainable Produce Summit. So without further ado, enjoy the session. Good morning. Good day. It's good to have you with us today on, virtually online for our Sustainable Produce Summit from the Packer. And uh, we have a great panel for you today. And I want to introduce them before we get started. Um, Scott Kane is the Senior Vice President and CEO, uh, COO of Aimpoint Research. Um, Allison Edwards, Director of Stewardship Index for Specialty Crops. And Amy Duda Kinder. Vice President of Food Safety and Worker Safety and Sustainability at Aduda and Sons, and Louis Damazo, Sustainability and Operations Analyst at Living Family Farms, and Jessica Vieira, Director of Sustainability for Appeal. So we're so excited to have this all-star panel here uh, to talk about grower-related issues. I guess the title of the panel would be Growers Seizing the Sustainability Moment. And Scott, uh, you organized a lot of the research. You conduct a lot of the research for Aimpoint, uh, which was also funded by the the Packer and Appeal, the uh, Emerald Packaging. So a lot of uh, a lot of in depth uh, uh, research going on with growers, consumers, and uh, and retailers. So tell us a little bit about what you find found relative to growers. Tom, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this, and, and we did do some research specific to growers, and I wanted to give a little definition of who we spoke to because we're constantly in the agri-food value chain, but in this case, we dove deep, specifically speaking to the men and women in our country who are growing at various sizes. There weren't just specifically new farmers or old farmers. We spoke to those that have been growing for a very long time and had anywhere from less than 200 acres all the way up to more than 2,000 acres. Many of them are doing conventional and organic, but most of them are doing conventional. And at the end of the day, some of them are earning less than $100,000 GFI, and we had some responding that were over $2 million, and we were across the entire United States. So this augmentative research we did specific to this brought out a couple really interesting things about the grower community, and I'll just review those for a moment. When, when we speak to growers generally about what sustainability means, what they'll actually respond back to us is many different things. But the thing that we heard most significantly the word that they chose was profit or consistency or longevity. And when you apply that against other things, what you start to realize is that our growers were responding from their perspective. Now, when we ask them who's responsible for sustainability, 81%, 8 and 10 said, it's me. It's my responsibility. The interesting thing is we did studies across the country. Nearly every group we asked had the same answer. It's my responsibility. But when it came to be accountable, accountability shifted. What also shifted is how important is sustainability? And the very interesting thing we heard, nearly 90% of growers said it is either very or extremely important to be sustainable. Now, remember the words that they used included things like profitability, consistency, and longevity. What's interesting is when we asked them about their standards, the standards that they said, they were generally, it's my standards because it's my responsibility to be sustainable. And so it wasn't an expressed standard by the government or by consumers or by others. It was a standard that I set myself to. And what we found interesting is when we said, well, what do those standards include? 
most everybody said it has to do with soil conservation or soil activity. A lot of them said that I'm doing crop rotations or I'm monitoring water. Many of them are saying that I'm doing, and nearly half of them said, some form of precision ag. What we're getting at is that this is a community, the grower community, who not only responsibility, but by their actions are defining it as it is what I do. What's interesting is when we ask them how easy it is to adjust to new standards, many of them said it will take me a long time to make these changes. And when we started to ask about some of those changes, many of those changes were parallel to what we saw with the consumers, saying things like, I think it comes down to how my food is grown and the human health that's established to that, but it's also how that food is packaged. So when we start looking at commonalities and where trust lies, there is an opportunity for us to lean into what our producers are already doing and help them understand that the perception from consumers are shared with them in terms of human health, in terms of packaging, and in terms of other activities. The challenge that we have with our grower community is they're also very suspicious that the average consumer really doesn't know much about sustainability. And when we think about it, they're talking about how they sustain their operations, not necessarily how the entire ecosystem reflects on sustainability. So in summary, what we hear from growers is that they hold themselves accountable, they set their standards, and moreover, they believe they are an active and important part of the system. They believe that people trust them, but generally there is room for improvement in terms of the language that we use to define sustainability, what it actually means to be sustainable, and how we create a higher or more sustainable um, ecosystem. Very good. Very good thoughts. And that's a quick summary, but a, a lot of the high points you covered there. And, and one of the things that I, I noticed in the research was that nine out of 10 growers believe sustainability is extremely important or very important. And I thought about that point. And um, Alice and Amy and Lewis, uh, what are some of the reasons that growers value sustainability so strongly at this point? You know, I'd welcome thoughts from the panel about that. Go ahead, Amy. I'll go ahead. Hi. So um, I think what, you know, Scott covered and how he kind of explained where a grower's perspective comes from is really important because it is it is incumbent upon a, the ag community to take the responsibility for sustainability. Um, interestingly, we are about to enter our 55th year in a, on a specific ranch in Florida. And I find that really interesting. That's, that's half a century growing, scratching the same dirt for that number of years. So obviously it's incumbent upon us to um, manage our nutrient input, manage our water and soil quality, because it's our goal and uh, to sustain our legacy and our stewardship of the land that we grow products on. So I'm sure Lewis can, I'm sure that story is similar throughout the ag community. It is. To piggyback off what Amy was saying, um, you know, growers have been focusing on sustainability for decades or even longer, depending on how long they're farming, they've been using the same land and it's in their best interest to protect that land and um, provide for a sustainable farming operation. So uh, when it comes to sustainability as an internal uh, management practice for growers, it's something that's been on their minds for a while. But 
you know, the whole concept of communicating that sustainability progress and being transparent about operation impacts is, um, is it what's a bit new. And that's really being driven by the consumer demand and the consumer interest funneled through retailers and communicated down to growers. Interesting. Good point. Allison, what are, what are your thoughts or uh, Jessica as well? Well, I would say that, I mean, the easy answer to the question is why, why are, why are nine out of 10 growers saying that sustainability is important right now? Part of the, the easy answer to that question would be because buyers are asking them for that information now. And, but that's the easy answer. And the, I think the deeper answer is that growers consider themselves stewards and, and that's like Amy and Lewis said, that's been true. That's always been true about farmers and it always will be true. Um, I think what is really important to consider here is that when any system is too tight and too efficient, if any, if change happens that that's not expected, um, be it climactic change or, or other change in a supply chain change, like just what happened with COVID, that the system can be disrupted really quickly. And so what, what sustainability really means is building a certain amount of slack or redundancy into a system so that it has more robustness. And that's what really stewardship is. And that means being economically viable. It means soil health. It means um, have, you know, knowing you can use the water that you have efficiently. There, there's multitude, it means having good biodiversity on your farm so that you can support pollinator health that's important to your operation. Um, there's there's a multitude of ways that that, that can be into an operation. And um, yeah, so I think that, that, that there's a lot that growers still can do to improve upon stewardship beyond what's been happening historically and what given the amount of change that's happening in the system right now um the system needs to be more robust and which requires more sustainability you know we talked about the the growers in the survey uh Speaking of the sustainable practices they have implemented, uh, they mentioned, of course, soil testing, crop rotation, water conservation, precision ag systems. Um, and I was curious, Amy and, and Lewis, um, you know, as you've got positions of responsibility re- regarding sustainability, you know, where do you start in terms of saying, okay, in terms of our sustainable uh, goals, uh, this is where we start and, you know, we want to pay attention to these issues first. What, and how does that differ than maybe the standard farming management practices? Uh, so I'd be curious about your thoughts. And you yeah. have me first with that one. So the difficulty for us as a company was defining the appropriate matrix and formula to use to capture the data that we were, were generating and so we partnered with Allison's group and CIS to start use, utilizing their modules and their formulas so that we could do specifically in areas of um, water use and efficient foundation as well as nutrient input um, so that we could capture that 
data and have it a consistent reporting structure across coasts, east and west, as well as growing regions. So I hope I answered that question. I think you did. Thanks. And, and Lewis, how about you? Uh, similar story. What's what? How did you how did you make your priorities for sustainability? Yeah, it's an important question, Tom. Um, asking how growers prioritize sustainability goals and um, and projects. And really, it's one that has to be answer, answered for each individual farm because every operation is so different. And that's the challenge. So setting up robust systems for analyzing uh, resource usage, impacts uh, on the environment, social accountability, and providing KPIs and metrics to measure progress to those goals becomes really important there. So one of the first things that we try to do is, um, is set up those systems so we know where we're at. Because if we don't know where we are currently at when it comes to certain goals or certain metrics that we define, then it's really hard to set a realistic and achievable goal. So we try to set up those systems to know how much water we're using, to know um, how much electricity and what our energy profile looks like. So that when we go to set those goals and when we go to make progress towards becoming more sustainable, we have a way to not only set a realistic and achievable goal, but also measure our progress towards that goal and effectively communicate the good things that we try to do. Very cool. Very cool. And just, can I just jump in there real quick and just say that, that your question, that that's the reason why the stewardship index for specialty crops exists in its entirety is to create one yardstick for measuring sustainability indicators across all specialty crops. And those those metrics, be it simple irrigation efficiency or nutrient use efficiency or habitat diversity or energy use, they those metrics function as management tools for growers. So for instance, Amy said she could baseline, or Lewis, they're both members of SIS, they could baseline their operation so that they can understand what's happening already. And then as they change their own management practices, they decide which management practices they change, then they can they can measure how, if they're becoming more or less efficient and improving those different indicators as they change their management practices. And they can also report that to their buyers if asked. So I just I wanted to make sure that was clear. Very good, very good. Yeah, that's a, to know where you're at in the, the whole process. Scott, yeah, hi. All and perhaps provide a little perspective as well. Part of what we do as an organization is look at the psychosocial environment that farmers uh, work within, how they feel about things. And to the point that we've made so far, we have various folks with different dispositions. And like we said, about half of the folks we spoke to said, I can change, but I'm going to change slowly. The other half, are reluctant to change, don't want to change, or find it too either expensive or they don't trust the system or, or speculative as to why it's even necessary. Wouldn't you just trust me to do what I'm doing? What I find interesting is this bifurcation in the system whereby uh, progressive growers, those that are um, leaning into what the consumers are asking for are readily able to adopt that technology and provide that level of transparency. And then we have others of all sizes and all commodities who are not digging their heels in, but are more clearly uh, flatly footed and flatly stanced right now towards us. Interesting point, and perhaps it speaks to the the market uh, rewards for for acting sustainability. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later too. 
Um, Jessica, I know uh, appeals involved with a lot of growers talking to growers about your solution. You know, when you when you highlight what your solution does, uh, how, how does that fit into the context of what growers want to accomplish, or are they even thinking sustainability when they when they look at a solution like appeals science? Sure. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Tom. Um, I mean, if I'm a grower, I I want to deliver the highest quality and the most sustainable fresh produce to customers and, and ultimately to consumers. And the thing with the appeal product is that by extending shelf life and maintaining freshness, our plant derived coating ensures that the quality of the fresh fruits and vegetables is maintained as it moves through that supply chain. So in some ways, it actually acts as an added insurance, ensuring that all of the time, money, natural resources that went into producing, you know, the best fruits and vegetables doesn't end up going to waste throughout the supply chain. Um, the added time that the appeal product creates can also, you know, allow growers to more flexibility in how they manage their operations, you know, when they harvest, um, how they ship their produce. And in some instances, it actually allows them to eliminate plastic packaging. We're, we're really excited about a new partnership with Howlings, who's going to be involved in another panel here at SPS, um, who was able to eliminate the plastic shrink wrap on their long English cucumbers by introducing Appeal. Um, the last thing that I think you know Appeal really offers to growers is Appeal's the only post-service product that has a consumer-facing brand. So we're communicating directly to consumers about the environmental benefits of reducing waste and conserving resources through the upstream supply chain. And we don't just kind of tell these stories, but we actually quantify these environmental benefits by using life cycle assessment studies that we conduct in-house and have third-party verified. And what we see is that with these metrics, you know, by really looking at the produce from end to end, um, we're also capturing the environmental savings that the growers um, and other actors in the supply chain can create by using the sustainable practices and communicating those things directly to retailers and consumers and, and things that aren't typically visible, um, but that are captured in the metrics that we generate and I think can provide some of that, you know, marketing, but some of the marketing that, that sometimes exists um, between growers and, and end consumers. Very good, very good. Uh, and leading right into in the next issue, which Scott, I wanted you to weigh in on this a little bit. We haven't talked a lot about the, the buyers and consumers and, and the idea of common ground, but you mentioned that a little bit. Uh, where is that common ground? And, and is there a joint uh, interest in, in making progress on sustainable issues? Uh, Tom, it's a great question. And the, and the answer to the second question before the first is yes, there is a desire to find common ground. And it's, it's, it's rooted in trust. And trust has been almost always universally granted to the farmers by consumers. What we have is an interesting change as that product moves down the cycle as to whether or not food production companies or transportation companies or manufacturers share that same level of trust. And it tends to be relatively high, but wanes from the farmer. So we do have a trust set in the farmer. The common terms that we're hearing has to do with human health. 
And so what's interesting is when we speak to growers, they say part of what I'm doing is trying to make sure I have the produce that I, I, I deliver is healthy and helps sustain human beings. And when we ask consumers what's most important, they'll often say it's exactly the same thing. Now, the direction by which that question is being asked are two different directions, but there is common ground. And it's through that common ground that we start to have paths towards what does sustainability mean? What does transparency mean? How much do I really need to know? How much am I capable of knowing? And when I hear Jessica talk about appeal, having that joint responsibility to educate uh, consumers really does mean we're all coming together as a system to help help transform the understanding so that people actually are more aware, especially of the things that impact them. Very good. And, and this is for the entire panel. I had, a, had, had this thought, you know, what's more important for growers? Is it actually setting goals and making progress or is it telling the story about what they're doing perhaps already or what they want to do? I mean, how important is the story part of sustainability in, in, finding reward for their efforts. Uh, or welcome any thoughts on that. I can go for that one. Ah. Oh, go ahead. All right, Lewis, yeah. Yeah, so um, it is, so both both are very important parts of the process, not only for the grower's journey and sustainability, but also for the consumer themselves. Um, I'd say the, maybe not more important, but first step, would be to set those goals and measure progress towards them. Um, because not only can that be used as a management tool for the grower, but then that sets them up to be able to communicate effectively to the consumer and share that progress with them. Um, as, as was mentioned earlier by Scott, the trust is the, one of the most important factors there. And in order to build trust, growers need to be transparent about their practices and transparent about their impacts. And you know when you're sharing when you're sharing details about that, uh, those details should be follow should be backed by data and backed by information so that growers can uh, continue to trust growers because, or so that consumers can continue to trust growers because trust, as we all know, is easily broken. Thanks. Thank you. I would just reiterate that that. Yeah, point. I mean, I would just <laughs> go ahead, Allison. So I was going to, I was just going to say that the, um, I mean, story is essential when you're connecting with consumers and be it a grower group telling the story of the industry or an individual operation telling the story to a buyer or, or telling us to a consumer, those were all, it's all essential. But if it's not backed up at this point, we live in a data centric world <laughs> and most consumers want to see proof at this point. Um, so data becomes really important. Um, how that data is used, I mean, of course, it can't just be shared out to the consumer. It, you know, it's going to take a level of interpretation and understanding. Um, but just telling a story without having all that information to back it up will just ultimately undermine the consumer confidence it, that is what I see there. Jessica, yeah, what, what's your thought on that too? I, I was going to share the, the same kind of sentiment that I think collecting the data and starting to really measure your performance is really a prerequisite to having any stories to tell. Um, so I, I totally agree with Lewis and Allison on this point. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it can be really 
um, overwhelming thinking about setting goals. It feels very lofty, but the first step is just starting to measure you know, how much water are you using over a period of time for a, a certain amount um, of produce grown? How, what are the inputs that are going into your production? And even being able to communicate um, these measurements, I think, can be very meaningful to consumers who are looking for the transparency that that Lewis is describing. Very good, very good. The uh, now another interesting point about the research: uh, grower attitudes about how the how the market is rewarding them for their efforts, and and that was pretty revealing because a lot of growers. Um, didn't feel like they were really being appreciated in that sense. I'll, I guess I'll read the question that I uh, from the survey. <clears throat> Thinking about produce being grown at an extra cost due to sustainability, to a, a sustainability standard, how do you think the buyers of the produce are compensating producers? And only 5% said very fairly, um, 32% said fairly, uh, 49% said unfairly, and, and 14% said very unfairly. So, you know, when you when you think about that, those responses, it seems like growers are, are a little put out that, the, that they don't feel like the buyers are appreciating what they're doing. Uh, um, what's your sense about that response from our grower group? And uh, what could change that perception, I guess, going forward? What, what do you think about that? It's a very difficult kind of dynamic to try and work through pricing, you know, price points to my direct customer and then their price points to the consumer. And it kind of goes back to the question before as well. So obviously data collection and and compiling the information to establish your story are both important, but another layer of that is how to get the story to the consumer. Because my face, my, you know, due to Farm Fresh Foods brand isn't recognizable to a consumer always. So my story and my data has to be uh, presented through the, the point of contact, the retailer, that the consumer is going to get my product. So I think, I think this, this, um, survey that you that that was conducted i think it's really important for us to understand some of the underlying messages in there this is a total partnership across the entire chain of grower retailer community to the consumer so i think once some of that messaging once once of that partnership is established then the pricing points and maybe some of the frustration that growers are feeling will be eased. I think I agree with Amy on that. Um, You know, I mean, I think maybe a lot of growers who are responding to that question in that way, their experience with sustainability is that that buyers are asking them information for it. And so their response is, well, what are you going to give me for that? (laughs) Which is totally legitimate because it takes a lot of work to capture additional data but at the same time, what, was, what I think people are, or growers are missing in that response is that baselining your, your, operate, your sustainability of your own operation and improving its resilience is, 
is good for the long-term health of your own operation and your ability to grow food. And that, that has, that has, in some ways that has everything to do with your buyers. And in some ways it hasn't, it, it's just your operation, you know, and if you're a good steward, then that's, you know, in, I think we just need to divorce it from the buyers to a certain extent and say, this is the right thing to do for growers because growers are stewards and see it as an internal management process. And, and, and the, the marketplace should reward that for sure. And it will, but it's kind of a chicken or an egg thing too. Um, if you don't do it, then you're not going to get the additional benefit from the marketplace in what comes first. Right. Yeah, I think you really I think you really I think you both um and Allison you really hit the nail on the head there with the the chicken or the egg issue because you know Allison and Amy you both touched on it from the grower perspective, but Appeal works with a lot of retail organizations and what we often see is that there may be a lot of support for sustainability you know, in leadership and in certain roles, but then buyers are often incentivized to reduce their costs, keep their profit margins high over very short periods of time. So they don't always have the incentives to buy out a new, maybe more costly, but could have a better experience with the consumer over a long period of time. We know that something in order to be sustainable also has to be economically viable, but it can take more than a quarter <laughs> to demonstrate that return on investment. Um, and so one thing that Appeal has started advocating for is how do we draw visibility to this disconnect sometimes between high-level sustainability goals and buyer incentives in organizations and ensure that you know, the buyers also have incentive to take these, you know, quote unquote risks on sustainability products that may actually have better returns in the long term as well. Um, so I think it has to happen at both ends of the spectrum. Um, and, and as you mentioned, you know, in the long term, I think we have a lot of reason to believe that this, will, this is good for business too. Good thoughts, good thoughts. Scott, you had one more thought on that? It, it, it complements actually what Jessica was saying, which is I, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that both ends of the spectrum are pushing in the same direction and pulling. And it almost feels like the squeeze needs to happen in the center, which is to say, I'm willing and they're willing. We need to meet in the center. And so as we see consumers saying, I'm willing to pay in excess of five or 10 percent more for this, and they demonstrate that in certain cases, then there is the need for patience, as Jessica pointed out, for the retailers to say this is going to take time to prove itself out. If we're talking from both ends of that spectrum and looking for the common language, it seems to me we're going to continue to make progress together. Very good, very good. Now this is a question a little bit from left field, but I perhaps Allison could be a, a good uh, thought leader on this one. Uh, how would a national standard for sustainability, would a national standard for sustainability help growers prioritize what they want to do? and? Uh, What's your thought about that, Allison? What do you think? Well, CISC, the stewardship index for specialty crops, we would never set a standard with our metrics because 
our metrics, basically the role of our organization is to create a yardstick for how to measure sustainability, all the different indicators of sustainability. Um, and that that yardstick is agnostic and that we give it to growers to use to baseline their operations and track their performance over time and measure to manage. And that we don't, we don't want to tell growers how to grow. <laughs> Farmers are the ones that decide how to run their operation and which management practices are best. We're giving them tools for track, seeing if their management practices are improving or reducing their sustainability. There's there we there's a big difference between um, practice-based sustainability questions and performance-based sustainability questions. Practice-based sustainability questions are more like, do you have a nutrient management plan? Does it employ X, Y, and Z? You know, and basically, in some ways, it's a bit paternalistic and it's telling farmers how to farm. So what what is Sort of what's fundamental with CIS is to be agnostic. Somebody could take our metrics and put them into a standard, and they could set a standard. Um, but we would never do that because we're trying to provide a measurement device that can be used in a variety of ways. So um, I, I'm not sure that setting a, I, I think it would be hard. I think it would be hard to set a standard. I think that growers need to take a responsibility um, and not feel too put upon by buyers and realize that, like Scott said, it's happening at different ends of the system at the same time. And really, the more the system can work together, the more successful the system will be. And that, that that's incumbent on the system and all the players in the system to do that cooperation. Well, wouldn't it be great if there was just one certification standard for sustainability in, in, in a sense? I mean, Lewis and Amy, maybe that would, you, you probably have to <laughs> jump through a little bit more, uh, a lot of hoops right now. But the, I don't know, any other, the standardization of, of um, you know, of audits, right, is, is, is an issue for food safety and probably for sustainability now, too. But that is the reason why CIS is exists is because there was a proliferation of food safety audits that happened and CISC was created as a multi-stakeholder collaborative in an attempt to get out ahead of that for sustainability. So so we have grower groups and buyers and brands and growers and environmental NGOs all collaborating to come up with one way to have one yardstick to measure sustainability that could be used by buyers. So it could be used by Walmart, or it could be used by Western Growers Association to work with their members, or it could be used by Duda to understand the, the baseline and understand their own operations. So it that's that's the fundamental mission of CISC is to have one way to measure for all the problems. And then people can use it in all different kinds of ways. That said, like Psy platform is planning on incorporating metrics into their bronze, silver, gold standards. So they are, they're going to, they're going to say, if you want to be gold, then you need to be using metrics. You know, there are things like that that are happening. Yeah. Well, yeah. Definitely. yeah. Mm -hmm. definitely savings with uh, measuring it the same way. Right. That's, that's what you're saying. So, and I wanted to ask this question too before the end of our session. 
how has COVID-19 changed the growers' approach to sustainability? And, and of course, we have social responsibility and worker welfare issues, uh, especially this year, it seems like. Um, and do you think consumers think of that issue under the sustainability umbrella and, and growers as well? I don't know. If, I mean, obviously, it's a core responsibility. So where where it falls, I guess, doesn't really matter too much. But Amy and Lewis, I'd be interested in your thoughts on, on how that issue is affected you guys and, and uh, what you've been doing to to account for that. Yes, Tom. Mm-hmm. I, um, I would say that COVID hasn't necessarily changed uh, growers' approach to sustainability in its entirety, but rather it's highlighted um, the importance of creating a resilient supply chain and a resilient operation to face changing times and unknown variables. So, you know, of course, it's put a, it's put a highlight on employee health and wellness, um, but in general, it's really stressed those relationships that we have with our suppliers and our buyers and, um, and really encouraged more of a collaborative, a collaborative effort towards improvement when it comes to sustainability and um, social accountability and just general co- cooperation in the supply chain. So it, it, uh, COVID-19 almost created a more sensitive awareness of activities that we were taking in regards to sustainability. And of course, social accountability was highlighted in all of our activities. So to Lewis's point, I don't think it slowed us down any, except maybe response time, but it definitely pushed us further into our activities quicker, faster. The entire agri-food value chain and we do next-gen consumer stuff and what's been very interesting is this event that we went through actually raised a level of awareness on what actually happens through the entire food chain and so we actually can see that this is a transformative event in people's awareness of what happens and what it means to say sustainability is happening so it's been actually very interesting to see the acceleration, to see people consistently doing what they were doing and saying, see, this is what we do. And consumers raised awareness, informing them of why the behaviors they have reinforced those activities down the food chain. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that this was a real, I think a little bit of an awakening for consumers about um, really what has to happen for them to have access to certain types of food or goods and how fragile some of our some parts of our food system actually can be um, and to Allison's earlier point about sustainability being you know somewhat synonymous with resiliency and really the robustness of um, the industry I think that that really highlighted this for consumers um, more than we've seen in the last few decades well, what a what a, a good good thoughts from you guys on that issue, and maybe one more question as we close it out. To, you know, growers and sustainability. You know, we're at you know 2020. What what do you think uh, this issue will look like in in five or ten years relative to what growers are doing now, and maybe what what they could be doing down the line? Uh, any thoughts about how, what the future may bring? I could say, based on just to go off of what Jessica was just saying, that I think that that 
sustainability in five to 10 years will be more of a fundamental operational or management practice because if this, if it basically builds a system that's more capable of responding to sudden disruptive change, um, be it about water or soil health or climactic change or any of that, be it um, a supply shift change, all of those things. So, so to me, the direction that sustainability is going, it's, it seems clearly to be moving towards fundamental management and operations and, um, and building, like Jessica said, a more robust system from the ground up at the operation level, at the individual operation, and then up the supply chain and across the supply chain. That can only happen if supply chain partners cooperate at a level that they haven't in the past. So it can't just be about price and amount. It's got to be about way more give and take of information and who's learning from what from whom and sharing that information back and forth down the supply chain in order for that whole system to work in a more robust way. Good thoughts. Anyone else? that the way we move forward with sustainability is really by growers cooperating. And, you know, the two things I hope to see happen are one, um, that sustainable products become competitive in pricing with, um, with standard products or non-sustainable products, because that'll really help with the adoption of um, sustainability at the grower level and the ability of retailers to provide sustainable products to consumers. And also hopefully the standardization of, um, of reporting and requests from retailers and buyers to growers. Because as Allison pointed out, um, the variety of the different requests that come in and, and the state we're in right now where there's no universal measuring stick really puts a lot of fatigue on growers. And um, once we move towards a more streamlined and efficient approach for measuring the sustainability of growers, it'll make progress that much easier to achieve for growers. Tom, the whole, the, the whole ecosystem is maturing and it's been growing and changing for decades, right? But it is maturing and we see and we're tracking technology changes. I mean, you, you've got things like blockchain, which is really beginning to blossom in agriculture. So you've got this parallel activity going on in the ecosystem that is working alongside of this. I mean, five to 10 years, there will be a transformation and the way we know what we know will be different. Um, and that difference is going to be facilitated not only by the willing, but also by those that are investing right now in the technologies and the people and the processes to make sure that our system is resilient, but is also sustainable in the long term and retains American security in food. Um, it's all moving in that direction. Very good. Gosh, you've been such, so great. I really appreciate your input today. Amy, Scott, Lewis, Allison, Jessica, you, you've been awesome. Uh, and we'll have a little uh, Zoom chat right now to uh, talk about some of these issues. So, again, thank you, audience, for, for being here as well. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed our presentation about grower engagement with sustainability. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this great content from our Sustainable Produce Summit. We hope to see you at our next event. Remember, we've got West Coast Produce Expo 
the Global Organic Produce Expo, and the Sustainable Produce Summit all as part of the roster. And of course, you can always read our reporting on thepacker.com and producemarketguide.com, along with our weekly newspapers and magazines every other month. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Let Us Learn More podcast.